0: Ready for a gut check? Stick around. Let's talk about it.
1: Houston, we have a problem.
0: Podcasting from a parking lot in the Woodlands, Texas. It's the Catholic Hack with Joe McClain.
2: Take this. All of you, and eat it. this is
0: my body.
1: which will be given up for you.
0: First Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. Take this, all of you, and drink, and, drink, and drink.
2: This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all, so that sin may be forgiven.
0: The Church of the Living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. First Timothy 3.15 Do this in memory of you. Welcome back to The Catholic Hack. I'm Joe McLean. This is episode number 46. And today we're going to continue our discussion with Tarek Saab about Gut Check, his new book on his life, his journey through his profession, and his journey through his faith. And I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. And I know it sounds like a a shameless plug, but you know what, I really did enjoy this book. And I think that all men, just about my age, maybe a little older, a little younger, you're gonna get a lot out of this book. You're gonna feel like this was your journey too. And that's why I really loved having the opportunity to talk with Tarek about this book. How is your Lent going? Mine is still pretty much a struggle. Still trying to catch up, still trying to to weed my way through it. It's been just too busy and I've had the flu and now the bronchitis. So it's just been a struggle and I, I wish I could start over. But you know what? I've been blessed to have Scott Hahn breaking the bread. So let's do that now. Let's break the bread
3: with Dr. Scott Hahn. In these last days of Lent, we experience the healing that comes with penance and sacrifice. Yet Jesus wants us to focus on a still greater work to be done, a work He will accomplish with our resurrection. That's good news in this week's Mass. Find out more next on Breaking the Bread. As we draw near to the end of Lent, our Gospel clearly has Jesus' passion and death in view. That's why John gives us the detail about Lazarus' sister Mary, that she is the one who anointed the Lord for burial. His disciples warn against returning to Judea. Thomas even predicts they will die with him if they go back. When Lazarus is raised, John notices the tombstone being taken away, as well as Lazarus' burial cloths and head covering. All details he later notices with Jesus' empty tomb. Like the blind men in last week's readings, Lazarus represents all humanity. He stands for dead man. For all those, Jesus loves and wants to liberate from the bands of sin and death. John even recalls the blind man in his account today. Like the man's birth in blindness, Lazarus' death is used by Jesus to reveal the glory of God. And again, like last Sunday, Jesus' words and deeds both give sight to those who believe. If we believe, we will see. We will see that Jesus loves each of us just as he loved Lazarus that he calls us out of death and into new life. By his resurrection, Jesus has fulfilled Ezekiel's promise in this week's first reading. He has opened the graves that we may rise. He has put his spirit in us that we may live. This is the spirit that Paul writes about in our epistle. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to us who were once dead in sin. Faith is the key. If we believe, as Martha does in today's gospel, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, even if we die, we will live. God the Father assures us in this Sunday's first reading, I have promised and I will do it. So we must trust in His Word as we sing in the Psalm, that with Him is forgiveness and salvation. This is Scott Hahn for Breaking the Bread. Breaking the Bread is a production
0: of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. If you'd like to receive written copies of Dr. Hahn's Reflections on the Sunday Mass readings, you can contact us by email at staff at salvationhistory.com or call us at 740-264-9535. That's 740-264-9535. You know, this particular passage about... Lazarus rising from the dead reminds me of Adam and how he was the first coward, how he refused to be that man of principle who stood in the gap between Satan and his wife Eve. He allowed his wife to face this bully all by herself, to face the Nahash, the dragon, you know, and the serpent, when he should have stood there and been the man in the gap, the man of principle, knowing that if he would have died, even if Satan would have taken his life, that God would have raised him from the dead, just like Lazarus. Lazarus is the foreshadowing that points us towards the new Adam, as St. Paul puts it, the Christ, Jesus himself, who gives up his life and is raised from the dead. And that's what we're all called to, especially as men. Ephesians 5 makes that clear. St. Paul tells us, as men, we must be prepared to lay down our life. And that's just the same as Gut Check, when Tarek said that's the man he wanted to be, the man of principle. So you know what? Let's roll up our sleeves, and let's dive deep and get into the truth with Tarek Saab.
1: You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the
2: truth! You
1: can't handle the truth!
2: This school when I sit, even just a little bit I get hit with the power that made the veil in the temple split When I submit, fall on the floor and the door Can't get enough, got to come back to some more Hey, we've got a problem here in the every we can benefit in the school, repent and commit. Roger the incense rises up in adoration of the throne, something happens to my wounded heart from all the love revealed and shown bright. Like Shakina comes to my head to persist, to change and sustain the way
0: I think it exists, to feel the bliss because my name is in the book of life's list. That's what happens when you
3: sit in the school
0: of the Eucharist. Mr. Hammett, take her down.
3: Make your death one five zero feet, ten degree down bubble. One five zero feet, ten degree down bubble. Aye, sir. Dive, dive, dive. Well, I certainly hope
1: so, and and I think you're dead on point with men need to call other men, and it it kind of reminds me of something you said a little bit earlier in the conversation when you talking about being in the military and you know the 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 glamour of uh, you know going to war and and um, you know being involved in this conflict. I have a Belloc quote that I opened the book with that says. uh, you know, all men have an instinct for conflict, at least right. all healthy men. Right. And, uh, you know, later on in the book, you know, I, I quote uh, a passage from Matthew that I, I just think is dead on point. He says, you know, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, mm-hmm. and it is the violent who bear it away. And, you know, we say, well, come on, I mean, this is the Bible. You know, we don't <laughs> preach violence in the Bible, but what type of violence is he talking about? Well, not a physical violence. Right. It's an, uh, a spiritual violence against our own perversity. Right. And that's the way that we need to look at our challenge as men when we call other men is we have to be violent. We have to be spiritually violent in separating ourselves from our addictions and separating ourselves from, you know, our fear mm-hmm. in building this, this, um, this bank of courage within us that will enable us to confront the culture and to recruit other men. You know, it, it's an uncomfortable position to be in to be a Catholic today. Right. It is not easy at all to be Catholic. And, uh, in, in order to I- embrace our mission and to really um, uh, live out our, our Catholic heritage, we have got to do violence against ourselves and against the culture.
0: It's so important. And, you know, with most men, in my experience, is men are – re- when the men realize that they are cowardly, especially, for example, just to pray. I felt this way when I went through a conversion experience. I realized I needed to pray. I realized I wanted to pray, but I realized I didn't have a clue as to how to pray. And I was embarrassed to pray with my family because I, I felt like I would look like an idiot, and no man wants to look like an idiot. They don't want to appear as is inadequate in front of women. So I felt that way in front of my wife. So I was I was scared. I avoided opportunities to pray with my wife because I, I felt like I didn't know how to pray. And so a big part of what I always try to encourage men is, and I think you really made this point in your book through your sharing of your experience, is it's not the fact that we have to be perfect. We don't have to be scholars in our faith, theologians. We don't have to be very well read. We don't even have to be able to quote chapter and verse in the Bible. We simply have to try. (laughs) We simply have to, you know, make an attempt every single day and, and then realize that, that we're building in faith and we gain more courage and we have, you know, a better ability to try harder the very next day. And the biggest attack Satan will, will put on us men is to the ego. You know, you don't even know your own faith. Why try? You, you, you're a sinner, man. You just looked at that woman walking down the street. You don't really believe what you say. Why try? You know, and we take these blows and it, it breaks us down, and then we keep telling ourselves, "Well, it's all hypocrisy." Why do we begin? But it's right. not. It's the fact that we are—if we're honest with ourselves—we just need to get back up and and just keep going on, keep moving forward. And that's a big thing with men. I think that they're just too—they're—they're t- they're too easily um, let down because of their own. Um, they're being honest to themselves that they're not up to the task so that they figure why try it's a mountain so why climb it you know but again men just need to try I think if they just said to themselves today I'm just going to make the attempt and let God be responsible for the success. I think there would be a world of difference, and I think that's kind of what you shared with me in this book, you know, in, in your experiences, that you fell down many a times. You realized early on, you know, you, you sought the divine. You sought truth. You, you encountered Aquinas and Aristotle, and and then you, and, and now we, we come past the scene in the club and we're seeing you having to reevaluate your whole life you're living with with uh, other guys and you you clean out your room you, you're starting to take an account for for your life and yet you're still not detached from your life you're still having to encounter everyday work you're still having to encounter your roommates and 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 all that they're still doing and you you haven't got it all figured out yet but again we still see you sort of struggling forward instead of backward And i think that's a pivotal change as well
1: Yeah, and and it's also trying to get the point across that, you know, changing your life, it's impossible to do it all in in one fell swoop. You know, it's like maybe uh, going cold turkey in some respects. You know, it's a a step-by-step process. In fact, it's a step-by-step process that never ends until the day that you die. Right. But, uh, you know, it's making the very first step is, you know, the most important act that you can make because... Once you can uh really control one aspect of your life, let's say for example, it's uh you know getting drunk, say, hey, you know the first step in in correcting my vices is to no longer get drunk anymore but once you got that under control, now what's the next thing that maybe we can take a look at? Maybe you're working on Sundays, get that out of the picture you know it's you know i'm I think one of the things I try to do in the book is let people know that for me my my journey has been. You know, long and arduous. It's not. Mm. It hasn't been. You know, the gut check isn't the Hollywood moment where you know someone dies of cancer. All of a sudden, I'm a different guy. <laughs> right. You know, it's uh, it's, <laughs> the gut check is. Oh my gosh, man, I'm I'm living a a, a uh, not the life that I want to live. Mm. Well, how do I correct it, man? That's the hard part. That right. is that is the hard part. Step by arduous step.
0: You know, and another point that I wanted to make earlier that. um got lost but and I still want to bring it up is I appreciated the fact that you incorporated points in this book of the rap music I think our generation you know back in the 90s rap music really came to the scene you know dr dre's album chronic was huge and when I went to when I went to boot camp and I went into the military I wasn't listening to rap music really I was into a different kind of music you know from a different background but when I got to the military everybody was listening to it it was new to me I'd go to the clubs that's what they were playing and I don't think people appreciate enough just how much of an impact that's had on our generation and a damaging effect I mean and so when you incorporated those into this book I appreciated that now as I get older and more mature you know I obviously don't listen to rap music anymore it's not that it's it's it, By itself, it's medium is not bad, but it's been used by and large for, you know, illicit purposes. And there is a positive effect. I mean, I play in this podcast, a a chorus from a rap song from Father Stan Fortuna called School of Eucharist. And I get questions. Why do you play uh, that rap song? listen to the words, it's the most energetic, positive message you know that I could play to you right now. In a nutshell, it talks about the power of sitting in adoration and the conversion experience as a result of that. That is a great, uh, uh, great way to demonstrate the positive use of rap music and how that medium, which is very energetic, very excitable, can be used for God's glory in a very great way. And and just recently, one of the listeners e- emailed me and said, you know, my sons are into rap music, and I'm scared, and and I'm not, you know, really particularly happy about it, and I don't really want them to listen to it. But can you make some recommendations to me, you know? And I was I was very pleased to be able to share with her some, you know, resources where she can go, and and maybe share some some very positive rap music you know, with her sons, and maybe they'll have uh, a different effect. Maybe it'll have a different effect. Maybe it'll give them an opportunity to uh, to see, you know, the, the the upside to that style of music instead of the very negative downside, that, that uh, you know, dopamine hook that, that I was, you know, exposed to, and, and you were as well. So I just wanted to tell you that I appreciated that you, you put those in there. I think a lot of people don't really... Um, understand the effects of rap music too well yeah. and I think a lot of people because there's a many people who listen to this podcast or who will even read your book who probably have never liked rap music but also right. at the same time don't understand the effects of it so I thought you did a good job about adding those in there
1: thank you well you know I I'll tell you this too just like you Joe I, I never listen to rap music anymore and uh, you know I mean popular rap music and right. the reason for that is I, I loved Rap music. I mean, I, I had every m&m album, you know, Dr. <laughs> Dre, Tupac, everything. I just, I loved it. And even when I was going through my conversion, right, or I don't like to even call it a conversion because I, I it's not like I was a different religion. It was more <laughs> like getting out of my lukewarmness, you know. Right. Yeah. Um. Uh. One of the the goals that I set for myself was to stop listening to that music because every single song was adulterated with vulgarity. Right. You know, it it was talking about sex and women and booze and every other word is a swear word. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's just not the type of, um, it, you know, information that I want to put in my head. My my wife hates the fact that I still know all the words and all the lyrics to almost every rap song, you know, that I used to listen to right. in, in, during that time period because it's just a waste of space in my right. head. But you know, it's, um, you know, it's one of those things where we talk about the, the steps along the journey, the arduous mm-hmm. steps. You know, if I want to be a good Catholic man, that requires making sacrifices and making choices. And, right. you know, I don't think that St. Paul would listen to Tupac. I, I just mm-hmm. don't. You know, I, I don't <laughs> think that St. Francis would listen to Eminem. I don't. And, you know, I want to be like them. I want right. to be like the saints, and I have to, you know, adjust my life accordingly.
0: You know, and you bring up a good point, too, uh, about knowing all the lyrics and all of that. The thing here is another point that I I don't think people speak enough about or realize, really. We've sort of put all this information in our head. And with me, it was pornography for 20 years. People don't understand the psychological damage that's been done as a result to having, you know, allowed myself to, to see all those images. It you know I I'm converted you know I ha- got on my knees and I let go and I let God and in that moment I experienced a mystical um, encounter with God he 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 turned m- me on to God in that very instant but I tell you I st- you know it doesn't go away it doesn't like he's not like he he wiped the hard drive and, and rebooted you know <laughs> he re- didn't reinstall the operating system in in my mind that's not the way it works you know that's the 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 people don't understand the downside to sin, the effect of sin, is the sin itself. As a result right. of living all that sin, I now have all this garbage in my brain that's ready and willing to come out at a moment's notice, that's triggered by the slightest little things. I could be sitting at Mass, listening to a homily, hear the, pr- the priest mention something that will trigger something else, that will trigger an image. Right. Right people don't understand how damaging that is i now have to live the rest of my life bearing that cross i have to confront every single one of those temptations And, and I have to pray. Personally, this is how I get through it. I, I I pray to our Blessed Mother and ask her to help me get through that, that, that encounter. And if usually at the last seconds, because once I start praying to our Blessed Lady, they go right away. But people don't understand that that's an exercise, much like an alcoholic has to wake up every day and say, I'm not drinking. Or go through every moment of that day, say, I will not drink. You know, that's, it's a cross that we now have to bear until we're dead. It's the same thing with this rap music. It's in your brain. There's no getting rid of it. You now have to fight that battle every single day of if not letting that come back to the forefront, not letting that influence your thought and, and, and spending even a minute pondering upon that lyrics again. It's the same thing. People just don't understand the damaging effects of that.
1: You know, the great hope that we can take is is just in knowing that we're not the first to have struggled with uh, with, with these issues. You know, I, I, two in particular that that I always... As a matter of fact, I quote in my book Saint Augustine, who talks about just how challenging it was after becoming a Christian, basically hearing these voices in his head of all, you know, the of of just women mm. um, saying, you know, are you really going to be a Christian and, and not be with us forever? Right. You know, something to that effect. I don't have the quote in front of me, but that is you know the challenge of those who are addicted to pornography when you make that break. You know, you are. You know, it's it's like these voices in your head are are constantly becking beckoning you to come back to to that vice. And you know, Saint Paul is another one, not with uh, not with sexuality, but you know, Saint Paul was in the was involved in the murder of Saint Stephen, and right. and I would have to believe that you know that image haunted him the rest of his life as right. well. Right. You know, and so you know that you're right. It it is a a great challenge, um, and especially today too, Joe. I I don't care you know what group of guys you're involved with whether it's in the Marine Corps or it's on college campus or it's a sports team or whatever pornography comes up right. you know guys and pornography are they go hand in hand nowadays and you know it's not just you know a uh, a peep show type thing now we're we're dealing with really diabolical things like sadomasochism and Mm. bestiality, The images that young men are seeing of, you know, women with animals and, you know, uh, I hate to say it, I mean, women with fecal matter and Mm. and that kind of thing. And it's just so diabolical and so disordered and disgusting that you're right I mean these are images that are never going to go away
0: and it just gets more and more perverse there's it's the same thing when you start to talk about you know when you came into the professional world and you realized there was no saturation point you you wanted six figures you got six figures well Mm -hmm. you want that that's that that high, that dopamine rush in your brain, you want that? Well, you get it. But again, it's not satisfying, is it? You need it again, but you need it longer. You need it better. It needs to be more and more perverse. So these men go down a vortex. They're just being sucked further and further down and their, their appetites get more and more grotesque. And people don't realize that this is now an addiction that needs to be nipped in the bud early and, and men need to have accountability for it. It's not unlike being an alcoholic. It's very much like being an alcoholic. I mean people have to be held accountable. It was a process for my wife and I that had to have to go through this you know, when I was coming out of all this, my wife had to hold me accountable for, for my actions. I couldn't spend, I couldn't be on the internet by myself. That's not something that could happen. And it was hard. It was hard to go through that accountability. But these are the things that happen when we have, you know, submitted ourselves to pornography, you know, inappropriate uh, music, whether it's rap or or even rock and roll or anything. It doesn't make much difference. The fact is, that we have done massive psychological damage to ourselves, and now as we understand that we now have to fight that battle every day and it has to we can't we can't slack on it because it'll get the better of us And but thank god we have the sacrament of reconciliation or else we'd all be in trouble
2: that's right you know the, right.
0: the only other point that i wanted to make about the rap music was you know when reading this book and and thinking about these things out of my own life experience it never ceases to fail me how the, the, the non-believer who's fully you know, in the middle of all this life, in, in the middle of that culture, the rap music culture, how come they never ask themselves that the songs are always the same? They're never about anything. It's always about women and money and, and, and what they, they think of success or their, their power over another person. Right. They they never have any depth. They're never about anything, and it's it's it never ceases to amaze me that there's a new rap artist who's made a million bucks, doing the same thing everybody else has done. I mean, they're being fed the same old thing every single time, and nobody stops to say, "Well, shouldn't we get something different?"
1: <laughs> well, as Christ says in, in the Bible, I mean, as, where your treasure is, there your heart is also, and uh, it's you know clearly their treasure is in in. In money and in women, and and so it, it, you know, it's very easy and understandable to to see why you know their, all of their songs are about those things. That's that's where their heart is. But you know, I'll I'll say this, Joe. That just in hearing you speak about the book, one of the things that, you know, I, I love so much in in, you know, talking about the book with you is that you're not a guy in your 20s, and yet you were <laughs> able to get a lot out of this book. And uh, you know, I, I think that's what you know. I'm hoping that. You know, a lot of people are, um, you know, similar to you, are able to, you know, look at the story and, and not only reflect on their own past, but for moms who are trying to raise young sons, this may be the book they need to read to understand right. what's going on in the guy in, in, in the head of a guy or women in their 20s who want to know what what's going on in the heads of their boyfriends or fiancés or husbands. This is a book that they need to read. And so, you know, this is a book about men In their twenties, but it's not a book exclusively for men in their twenties. And and, uh, you know, I I hope people um, you know embrace it with with that mindset.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's let's move on with the book now. We we see this like i said this earlier this phase where you're cleaning yourself out you're taking an account of everything you're throwing away those magazines you're monitoring what you you know what television and music that you're that you're intaking you're starting to read you know fulton sheen and you're starting to discover your faith But yet, we have this scene where you're in an airport restaurant waiting for a flight, and you discover for yourself that uh, you're so quickly sucked into pop culture once again. And you realize for yourself that where is your priority how how do you prioritize your faith in in everything else you're doing and and you realize this because you you had this conversation with this guy who's just intent on bringing you in he's not letting you go <laughs> he is not going to let you sit there and read your book he wants you to talk about sports i mean i have to believe that this was heavenly inspired you know that this guy was there for a purpose you know to to help you in your conversion experience and i'm going to call it that anyway i mean you're, you, you just you realize you know more about sports than you do your own faith, and and this, again, because of my professional experience in in the logistics community, you know I have I have, you know, l- power lunches, meetings all the time with 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 road warriors like you, and yeah. and so I I know the kind of guy that you that you were, and I and I can fully appreciate the scene. So let's talk about that for a second. What sure. were you what were you thinking? I could really sense that you didn't want to be a part of that, but you also couldn't help yourself.
1: Well, first of all, one of the things that I I do often in the book is I try to set up distinctions, two things happening at the same time that are in total opposition to each other. In in this case, it was reading Fulton J. Sheen and his words on the marks of true education and, you know, being distracted by the television and sports Mm. and, you know, the Oscars that were coming up and and such. And I do the same thing, you know, in the club with the rap music and then thinking about, you know, my faith and, and such. Well... You know, this conversation with, I think it's Frank and Sal, um, you know, we're talking about the Red Sox. The Red Sox just won the World Series. I've always been in, uh, just a, a passionate sports fan, all major sports. And I know everything about what's going on, not only on the field, but the transactions that are taking place off the field in the off season with the minor leaguers that are up and coming. And we're having this long, involved conversation about sports and batting averages and salaries and all this stuff. And, you know, I think if you poll 80% of the men in the United States, they could all have similar conversations about their, right. their favorite sports teams. 94 million people watched the Super Bowl, you know, last week. So, you know, clearly sports is an important um, part of our culture. And the whole point that I'm trying to make in, in this chapter is, sports are great, right? They're they're a a nice form of healthy recreation. We need recreation in our lives to help us get to heaven. We need time to decompress. We need time to release our masculine energy in a way that's healthy and and competitive. But we have a sports addiction in this country, not just sports, but television and, and movies and such, that really takes the place of true education in our lives. I mean, we I, make the, I have a line in the chapter that says that, you know, the fact is that our time is an investment, and time spent on sports is cashed and spent without any hope of subsequent dividends. Mm. And we need to look at it that way. How much time do we spend on sports compared to time that we spend learning about our faith? Right. I mean, I, I'm inclined to believe it's 100 to 1 for mm. most men. And, or time that we spend on sports versus time that we spend in prayer, Minimum ten to one, right? right? Right. And when we look at that in terms of the opening sentence in the book, success in life and business begins by focusing on death. We have to ask ourselves the question: Is this contributing to, um, you know, my eternal salvation? Is this is all of this time I'm spending on sports? Is this helping me get to heaven? Right. And the answer is no. It's not. And you know, we'll, you'll see in the first half of that chapter, I'm having this intense dialogue on sports. I know everything about. And then the second half of the chapter is this conversation with Janice on the plane. And Janice is just a a woman in her mid thirties who is, um, you know, another road warrior in business, wearing the business suit and the whole bit. And we have this religious conversation. Um, she is, you know, a, someone who loves Don Miguel Ruiz and the Toltec tradition, and Mm. obviously I'm uh, a Catholic and we're having this religious conversation, and I clearly do not know as much about my faith as I do about sports. And that is singularly a major problem. The whole point of that chapter is to say we need to focus on our education. We need to know the story about Galileo. We need to know what happened in the Inquisition and the Crusades. We need to know our catechism through and through. Um, Do we know that? Or do we know more about sports? That's the, the yeah. argument that I'm presenting there.
0: You know, when I read that exchange with you and Janice on the plane. I I got what you were telling me about, you know, that if you really r- realized your own priority in it, the sports, although although it's a good, because when God created the world, he created everything good. So there is good in sports and a- athletic events and, and knowledge of those things. Absolutely. But it doesn't contribute to your salvation. So the it's disorder to put too much emphasis on them. And I agree with that point. But at the same time, I thought you had a pretty good exchange with Janice. I thought you did a pretty good job of of dealing with her because I don't think honestly I would have done ...as well with her as probably you did at that time in your life. And I'm not trying to say that I have any better knowledge of Catholicism than you do. All I'm saying is because of our styles, I thought that your style with her was was useful from um, a sense that she probably heard things that she had never heard in a, in a, in a in a way that she's never heard it before she's probably more used to guys like me who will just spit out some quote or some verse or some historical fact that she'll just ignore and shut down and move on you know what i mean right like i i and I. like again i totally agree that i thought you know it was a great point to say you know we have to have the right perspective on our faith and i Try to encourage everybody. Learn your faith. Learn something new today. You do, and especially as Catholics, and you made made this point just a few minutes ago. As Catholics, we get it from all sides. We can't have a straight apples to apples debate with anybody, because we'll have like we're talking about. um, Just the other day, I was having a conversation with somebody about uh, life and and abortion, and although we're having this topic about abortion. They want to throw a curveball at me about some, some pope from centuries ago who did some horrible thing. Okay, well, right. are we talking about abortion or are we talking about that pope? I can speak to that issue, but, I mean, you've sort of changed the subject. And I think Catholics get it that way. You know, we'll talk about something, then all of a sudden, yeah, but you guys believe in purgatory. Okay, right. let's talk about purgatory. <laughs> you know, And right. so I really enjoyed this exchange that you had with her on the plane i honestly felt you did a good job. I thought I got the sense from the book that you felt you didn't do as good a job as you had had, and maybe because the results weren't readily apparent, but I have to believe that this woman lies in bed at night looking up at the at the ceiling, thinking about what you told her.
1: yeah, well, I would hope so. you know I tried to do two things simultaneously in that in that conversation alone, which is one, for the reader, I want to um, allow the reader to arrive at Christianity logically, which is the point that, you know, the point of that conversation is to, you know, discuss, you know, praying to the saints, how that's a logical thing to do. Right. Or, or, you know, discuss why it's logical to focus on death, let's say. And she is making this counter-argument. I think the distinction between the, the sports section and that conversation is one really of language, and when we talk about sports, at least when I when I speak about sports in front of my wife, she can't understand half of the words that I'm that I'm saying. Line of scrimmage, what is line of scrimmage? My wife has no idea, you know. Right. And and uh, you know RBIs or OPS, you know, all the different acronyms that we use in baseball. Right. My wife has no idea. The same can be said of our faith. I mean, we have a lot of words that we use in our faith that most people would have no clue about. Um, let's say. A monstrance,
2: mm. you
1: know. What is a monstrance? Uh, you ask most Catholics. I would, I would venture to say, ninety percent of Catholics today have no idea what a monstrance is. It's kind of right. a basic thing, you know. Right. Um, and so, the the distinction that I'm making in that conversation with Janice is that, you know, I have at that point already arrived at my catholicity. I already mm-hmm. understand it from a logical perspective. It makes a lot of sense. I'm making the right changes. I'm reading a lot to help. Um, in, infuse my knowledge but you know at the same time I'm I, I still don't know the language very well I still I, I'm, I'm still uh, fumbling around for words I'm still trying to find my way through through having a, uh, a religious argument and so the point that I'm making to to the reader is you know look you know I, I understand my faith I'm, I'm getting to that point but there's still so much I need to learn, particularly when I compare it to my knowledge of sports.
2: Right. So
1: if I can at least bring up my religious knowledge to the the level that I have of of uh, level of knowledge I have in sports, and I'll be doing okay. Mm-hmm. I make the the point in the chapter. Look, when I was playing Trivial Pursuit, I was strictly looking for the green wedge, right? <laughs> because you know the green wedge is the sports questions. I get nine out of ten of those right. right. If they had a let's say a purple wedge for religion my gosh, how many of those questions would I get, right? right who yeah. knows, you know, at that point. So, um, you know, I wanted to, you know, represent what that, what that conversation was like and, and, you know, make some logical points of fact, particularly for, you know, other Christians who, who may not um, think Catholicism is, is, you know, 100% true. I wanted to make some, some logical points while at the same time presenting that I don't know everything, or at least at that time I didn't know as much as I needed to know.
0: You know, and I was reading that and thinking back on certain conversations I've had with certain people. And there's, you know, that atheist in college that I was debating. then there's been, you know, good Baptist neighbors of mine who wanted me to become Baptist and leave the Catholic Church. And at both of those points in my life, I didn't have, I didn't really know about my faith. I didn't, I couldn't defend the church's position on the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. I couldn't defend, you know, uh, an uh, a div- divinely inspired creation, you know. To this atheist, I-, I just didn't have that knowledge. But in both instances, I walked away saying, "I'm not going to be caught like a deer in the headlights again." I'm uh, going to go and study, and I did. I, I poured myself into, you know, the study of those topics. So the very next time I encountered someone like that, I was going to be prepared. I would have the answer. It might not be a polished, perf- perfect answer, but I'm not going to sit there and, and go, "Uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know where the church gets off talking about, you know, the." Um, how mary was born without sin <laughs> i have you no know what? idea where that's in the bible you know i wasn't going to be that guy you know and so it was more of a a personal drive you know and so i would study and study and study so i sort of got that sense out of this conversation you had with janice is that although you felt like you say you were you arrived at your catholicism and, and you believed in it But I got that, I sort of related to, I could feel like you were, like, just like I did, that you were going to go walk away. And the next time you had that conversation, you were going to be far better prepared.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, in business, I'll tell you this, Joe, that, you know, I would go into every single business meeting, whether that was in the U.S. or Japan or anywhere else, and I would know ahead of time the questions that were going to be asked of me. I would know. The questions were always the same, (laughs) particularly as it related to the parts, but also in in relating to, uh, you know, the business flow. And I would have the answers, you know, almost memorized to a certain degree because I would repeat them so much. And I think the same is true when we have conversations with atheists or, you know, with members of other religions. The questions are always the same. Their arguments are always the same. Right. And it just comes down to um, having the Catholic response on the top of your, you know, on the top of your head. Right. And, um, you know, I think, you know, at this point, particularly in, you know. In my travels with speaking, I get the same questions over and over again, too, and, and it's you know it's gotten to the point where I, I have quick responses for them, just because I'm so used to it. I think one person who does this particularly well is uh, a, a guest that you had on uh, not too long ago, John Martinoni. Mm. You know, when he talks about his debates with uh, Protestants, he always knows the, the, the uh, quotes from the Bible that they're going to bring up. He knows right. the questions that they're going to ask, and he has answers for them readily on the tip of his tongue. So, mm. You know, that's how we have to approach
0: it. Right. And again, I don't think we have to be experts at it. We don't have to have the, the whole argument memorized. We, have, we don't have to have read Aquinas' Summa Theologica you know, to, right. to have that response. And oftentimes, if we just give a response that sounds logical and reasonable, well, we've done something that no other Catholic in that person's life has ever done.
1: That's right, and then they'll immediately change the
0: subject. Exactly. Yeah, but you guys believe in purgatory, you know? <laughs> you know so, yeah, we get it all the time. And that you had what, a bad pope once. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you people are evil, you know? Yeah, we get it from all different directions, and that's what makes it hard to be Catholic. Catholicism is advanced for sure. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not that surface level, you know. Faith, you know. It, we have to be intelligent and thinking, and you know. Although there is plenty of good Catholics who are just faithful and they take it on faith but if we're going to engage in discussion with other people who who aren't of our faith we really need to be um, you know thinking about these things and what I really love about our faith is we never have to be afraid of the truth we seek truth so if someone says something to us that stymies us well we just go and study and dig and dive deep and dig into it and we'll come out more Catholic than we were before at least that's been my experience
2: yeah, that's absolutely right.
0: So, okay, we we what did you take away from your your conversation with Janice? I mean, you seemed frustrated at the end of it, and how, what what direction did it take you in? Well,
1: more than anything, what it caused me to do is um, learn my faith even even better than than I had known it before. I'm I'm one of those people. I, I, I've always struggled with pride, Joe. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, I'm the type of guy, you know, I want to have the last word in sports. I hate losing. I don't like losing checkers to my eight year old cousin. You know, I, I'm just that type of guy. And uh, you hated you know, the Super
0: Bowl, then, huh?
1: Oh man, the, it was tough being <laughs> yeah. a being a Pats fan. It was real tough. Yeah, but, uh, me too. You know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I I hate that feeling of. Not being able to have the the right response or the quick response, and in business, I think you know it was one of the reasons why I was successful at an early age is that I worked very diligently at uh, being able to communicate ideas very well. And so, more than anything, I, I kind of came out of that conversation where they're saying, "Look, I need to I need to know a lot more about my faith." And um, what happens is, you know, the more that you know, the more the the uh, the challenges laid before you because, you know, I'll, I'll say gosh, you know, I wanted to learn more about my faith so I read Introduction to a Devout Life well, I read Introduction to a Devout Life and I realized just how much further I needed to go to become a better Christian, to become a better Catholic, right. and that influenced other phases of my life mm-hmm. and so you see in the book, you know I, I come out of that, you know, conversation with, with Janice and, you know, I end up Coming back home and and really saying, well, look, one of the biggest changes I need to make is instead of waking up every morning to go to the gym to <laughs> right. for my own vanity, one of the things that I really need to focus on is getting to daily mass. And yeah. so I made the switch. You know, I switched instead of going to the gym in the morning, I went to daily mass in the morning. And you know, that's when you start getting into the what ultimately is my favorite chapter in the book, chapter eleven. Mm. Um, you know, the the, cha- the chapter on sacrifice and. Mm. Just how difficult it is to really live the kind of the, the true Catholic um, way of life in, in, in our culture today, and and how necessary it is to make sacrifices in order to arrive at that end goal. But you know that is, that is all um, a a byproduct of learning more and more about my faith, because it's very easy to sit back and say, well, you know, a good Christian is one who is good to people and goes to church, you know. And for so many years, I kind of had that mindset. And, you know, in reading the the books from the saints, it is so much more than that. Right. You know, it is so much more than that. Our life has to be a constant dialogue with God. We're no longer in in the Garden of Eden where, you know, we may hear God's voice like you and me talking. But, you know, from the moment that we wake up in the morning to the moment that we go to bed at night, uh, our life is a journey back to God. He, he wants us, and it's why we have our, you know, our innate desire for truth, beauty, and goodness. It's it's from the moment that we're born, we're um, on a journey back to Him. And how often do we wake up and, you know, we don't say morning prayers, and we just kind of, you know, hop in the car, drink our coffee, go right. to work, and, you know, we're wrapped up in, in all the secular things of the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that that was kind of the big turning point, is turning every single moment, every second of my life into a, a prayer to God, a, a, a communication, a dialogue with God. And quite frankly, I mean, it's that is a very, very difficult thing to do. I mean, I, I struggle with that daily, you know, now. <laughs> and I'm sure I'll struggle with it till the day that I die. Right. It's, but at least I know what I'm working towards. And I get better and better at it right. as, uh, as the years go by.
2: There
0: you have it. Tarek Saab, gut check. Stick around, that coming up next will be the conclusion of this conversation with Tarek Saab about this great book. I hope you're enjoying it and if you want to pick up a copy, you can do that right off of my blog www.catholichhack.com Right on the top there's a banner that says Buy Gut Check or you can just go right to the site buygutcheck.com But by buying it off the blog, you support me and I do appreciate that. So please do stop by. Tonight You know I've been well blessed. A listener to the podcast has written in and, and wanted to support this podcast by making a donation so what she has done is she has now purchased 10 Catholic hack t-shirts as a way to support the podcast Uh, you know and I cannot say thank you enough that really touched me And I'm so thankful for that. So God bless you for your support. And what she's asked me to do is to give these Catholic Hack t-shirts away. So we're going to use these as giveaways here on the podcast. So praise God. Thank you so much for your your generosity. So Catholic Hackers, we're going to go on a diving expedition. That's right. I want to hear from you. I want you to send me some voicemail. I want to know from you, why does my Catholic Bible have seven more books than my Protestant father's Bible. That's right, I want to hear from you right now. Give me a call on the voicemail feedback line, 713-568-6277. That's 713-568-6277. I'll take the first call who can tell me where in the Bible does Jesus quote from the seven books that are in question. Where in the early church history can we determine whether or not these seven books were accepted by the first Christians, and where the Protestants decided that they were going to go away, that they weren't going to be a part of their canon. Did the Catholic Church add them, or did the Protestants take them away? That's your challenge. And the first caller at 713-568-6277 to give me the answer will get a free Catholic Hack t-shirt. So dive deep, and give me a response today, because I want to know from you where we go wrong where we go right as certified scripture divers we must always be prepared always be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within that's first peter 3:15. have you left a review on itunes today for the catholic hack if not please do so we've got about 56 reviews and uh, we're always looking for more. We're about halfway up the second page of the featured Christian podcast list on the iTunes web store. And I want to make it onto the first page. And we can do that with your help. So please do that today. Be sure also to stop by the Catholic Hack bookstore at www.catholiccompany.com forward slash Hack. And that's how you can also support this podcast. Well, until next time, I pray that God richly bless you. God bless.
3: SQPN, the best in Catholic podcasting.